0: I want to invite your attention to the book of 1 Samuel, the, the first chapter, and I want to begin reading there in verse 19, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and beginning there in verse 19. And they rose up in the morning early, and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house in Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah her husband said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until thou hast weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode, and gave her son suck, until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, uh, with three bullocks, and one ephah of flour, and a bottle of wine, and brought him into the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. And they slew a bullock. And brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me the petition that I ask of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there." correctly read and barring any mistakes on my part, reads the passage that I wanted to read for our introductory portion tonight for a little while. Do you remember this morning that I mentioned rather briefly that there was a difference and a distinction between the example that we find regarding Hannah and the example that we find regarding Eli. And as we mentioned, and we'll get into greater detail in just a moment, but When Hannah prayed to the Lord, she says this, If you'll but grant me a child, if you'll grant me a son, then I will give him to you and he shall have a vow, a vow that will last his entire life and he'll serve you all the days of his life. And I said that the difference between Hannah and Eli was that Hannah put the Lord before the child and Eli put his children or his boys before the Lord. I just want to make one point here before we go to prayer, and that's this. It was a fact, and we read in we read in the biblical account of history, how that Eli certainly did not support by way of how he felt with his desires and with his heart and so forth. He didn't support their evil actions. In fact, he even spoke against them. He even sat them down as it were, and we can only picture as it was the setting, as these rebellious, wicked, and vile sons. We're sitting before Eli, their father, the high priest, and Eli is going to speak to them concerning their awful sin, concerning their awful fate, and all of that. And yet the Bible says that he was condemned because he restrained them not. What does that mean? Isn't it enough just to speak our mind? Or is there other things that are more required of us as we have the power to do so. Even before Samson began waging his personal warfare against the Philistines, another kind of judge was ruling in Shiloh. Eli was the high priest of the nation as well as a judge. In fact, he judged Israel for 40 years that went through the time of 1145 uh, to 1105 BC. He was followed in his judgeship by the prophet Samuel that we're going to discuss for a little while this evening. And his long judgeship over the 40 years paved the way for the establishment of the monarchy. In terms of natural history, national history, the first seven chapters of 1 Samuel revolve around two major events. The people of God reached their all-time low point when the ark of God was captured in battle. Chapter 4 begins that narrative. And a dying mother made the most telling comment on, her, on this disaster when she whispered to her dying, with her dying breath the name of her new son, that being Ichabod, which means the glory, has departed. 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 20. 20 years later, the grateful prophet shouted the name Ebenezer, which meant stone of help as he erected a monument to God's grace after Israel smashed the Philistines. Samuel assumed leadership when Israel was in the pits of degradation. By bringing the people back to God, he restored their national pride, power, and purpose. Well, while the conditions of this period of the judges continued to deteriorate, God was preparing to write the next chapter in the thrilling story of redemption. In the sinful darkness of those days, God found a godly woman through whom he would bring a great reformer, into the world the Bible says as we begin our narrative that there was a man and there was a man and his name was Elkanah you know there's nothing that says that this man was anything but a man that was upright in the eyes of God nowhere do we find an indictment against his character and certainly we don't find an indictment against his spiritual service by way of sacrifice or living uh, in days gone by, uh, according to the requirements that those people lived back then. So no doubt we find that this was a good man, a godly man, a man that was upright. And The Bible says that he had two wives. You know, it was said by many scholars that he had Hannah first, and Hannah would have been necessarily the one that he dearly loved. In fact, the Bible does talk about how he would give special favor to her because he loved her now there was two reasons why he did that number one he had the natural affection for his wife that we all ought to have when we have that feeling inside of love for our spouse in fact when we get married the uh, shahi is going to be married soon and and lizzie my niece is going to be married soon ryan and rebecca got married not long ago and and uh i got married a long time ago uh But the point is this, when you marry someone, you marry someone that's going to be closer to you than anybody in the whole world. You're gonna have someone that's your dearest friend, someone that's your confidant, someone that is so close to you that there's no one in the world that will ever have a closer relationship to you than your spouse. But notice this, the Bible says that God had closed her womb, God had had caused her to be barren and she could not have children. You remember back in those days, they, were, they uh, had multiple wives on many occasions. And this woman here, Peninnah, was also married to Elkanah. And the Bible says that they had sons and they had daughters. She was fertile and she was able to have many children. And so the Bible says that they did just that. But, you know, the Bible also talks about how there was a rival between these two women. I can only imagine how it would be in the same house having two wives. I can just imagine how that would be under the very best of circumstances. Hey, listen, it's hard enough to make one happy. This man had two, and one of them couldn't have children, and one of them desperately wanted children, though she could not have it. And you've got this woman here who obviously wants the greater affection or the greater feel from her husband, as it were, that he would uh, show favor unto her too. And so you can just imagine, as they talk about in the common vernacular, a place having no fury like a woman scorned. The Bible says when they came for the yearly sacrifice to give sacrifices in Shiloh, you know, they came to the Feast of the Tabernacles, and they came to this place, and it was an annual feast, it was an annual thing. And you know, the men were the only ones that were, were required to go to Shiloh, the place where the tabernacle was, and perform such sacrifices and so on. But just because it was only the men that were required didn't mean that the women were not allowed to go, and hence... Many of the women and families and children made the journey, which I'm told, from this place, from where this man lived. Incidentally, he lived in a place called Ramathayim Zophim, which is also known as Ramah or Rama. Eighteen-mile journey to Shiloh, to the place of the tabernacle there. The Bible says when they made that journey, they did so... And, you know, they, they made a journey. This journey must have been something that was uh, a whole lot more difficult than anything that you and I can possibly fathom. They had primitive, primitive means of transportation, not like us, 18 miles. It's probably over half that to my house from here in an automobile, and we make it really... Quickly, And it's an easy drive and there's nothing difficult. We turn on the air condition, turn on the music in the car. We have comforts all around us and that's an easy thing to do. But to travel 18 miles back then on the rough and rocky terrain and all that would possibly come their way was a whole lot more difficult. And you know this too. Wouldn't you think that if it was a time when they went to give sacrifices unto the Lord and to be grateful for the things that they had been given, especially the children that they'd been blessed with, don't you think that it was especially hard for Hannah when she would go there to that place knowing that the Bible says that the Lord had closed her womb and therefore could not have children and was barren? Well, Elkanah noticed that too when they came down giving portions to the family. The Bible says, now he didn't withhold anything, but when he gave provisions or he gave portions to Peninnah and and sons and daughters and so on, he gave what was uh, acceptable or an acceptable amount, gave him a rightful portion. But then the Bible says he gave more to Hannah because he loved her. And not only that, but Hannah was grieved in her heart because she couldn't have children. Have you ever met someone that could not have a child? Now, listen, I don't don't know of anyone uh, right now here, but let's just say that there was someone here under the sound of my voice tonight that could not have children. You know, that, that is something that we all feel compassion for if somebody could not have a child. We all feel like that. We would never dream of rubbing it in their face that we have children. And certainly we would not do anything that would sound hateful to them in that regard. But this woman, this woman is about to get hers. And she lets Hannah have it. The Bible says on this occasion that Hannah was so grieved that she began to cry. And the Bible says that she wouldn't even eat You know, I like what one scholar said there. He said she wasn't sitting back pouting. She wasn't uh, protesting against the other wife. No, she was just grieved so much. And she was hurting so bad. And she was so desperate in her heart that she was grieved to the point that she lost her appetite. Now, I can understand that because I guarantee you this. If you have something in your life That is so awful that's caused you to be grieved in that way you know what I'm talking about the last thing you want to do is sit and eat a big meal you completely lose your appetite you know I've known some people that were absolutely just the best eaters that you ever saw in your life they could eat anytime anyplace anywhere and eat anything but something like this happens where they're grieved and they don't eat at all I I remember a man lost 50 pounds 50 pounds because he was heartsick over the loss of uh, a woman that was to be his wife. You know, that's sad, but that's kind of what's going on here. She's so grieved, she can't even eat. And she goes over where Eli was, and Eli was at the door of the, of the, of the temple there. He was at the door, and he was listening on. And he notices that Hannah comes, and Hannah is sobbing. She is weeping and she's praying to God. But the only thing that Eli could see is her mouth was moving and no sound was coming out. You know, that's interesting. The first thing he thinks of, incidentally, backing up just a little bit in our story, when the Bible talks about these characters here, it also says that at the very same place, these characters were there too. Eli looks over and sees Hannah, and Hannah, wherever she was, she was sobbing, she was heartsick, and she was praying, but all he sees is her mouth moving, and no sound coming out. You know what he said? She's drunk. She's drunk. And he says, put up your wine. Put it aside. You know, it is said that wine, or alcoholic beverages, is a slow intoxicant. Consider there are things that people can take by way of other intoxicants that can make them intoxicated rather quickly. This is a slow intoxicant, hence the phrase when Eli says, put up thy wine from you, for you're drunk. You know, I like what she says because what she says is in response. She says, do you look to me as a daughter of Belial? You know, in the New Testament, Belial is, is sometimes described as As the devil but in the Old Testament there's no proper noun here that would describe a person place or thing hence not specifically being the devil but we're talking about someone that is not righteous we're talking about someone that is worthless in the eyes of God and she said this don't look at me like I am a daughter of Belial I would not only and I like this I wouldn't have any wine and I wouldn't have any strong drink I wouldn't have either one. You know, I think that she is, in her words there, she's admitting it's wrong to have either one. It's wrong to have those intoxicants. She says, don't look to me as a daughter of Belial that would participate and use such things as that. But let's just back up. Let's back up to the things that she was praying to God about. You know, when she prayed to God... You know, I can't fathom this. She wants a child so bad. She wants a son so bad. No doubt she wanted to pass on the bloodlines of her husband through her and not the other woman, the other wife. No doubt. But the Bible says that her prayer was like this. She prayed to God and she said, if you'll just give me a son, I will give him back to you and he'll serve you all the days of his life. And he which is going to be Samuel, will be a Nazarite his entire life. He is going to give the vow. You know, a vow under the Old Testament was for a time period. A Nazarite vow also. But in many cases, it was for life. And in his case, she is making the vow for Samuel that her husband is going to support, therefore, it was due and payable in the eyes of God. And Samuel was going to be just that. He would not cut his hair for his entire life to show that he, was a, he fulfilled his Nazarite vow unto God. She said, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him back. And he's going to serve you all the days of his life. Wow. You know what I thought of? I thought of something that Tina and I said when we lost Tyler and and some of the other family members in our family said too. You know what we said? You know, it's awful to lose a child. It really is. In fact, it's an unnatural thing to have to bury your own children. It really is. But I'm going to tell you this. In, In looking back on those days, you know what one of the things that we said was? We said... Every parent, every parent strives to get their children to heaven. And now we're one for one. I said said that to say this. That was very consoling and it felt better. But I just wonder how I would have felt in advance if I was willing to give him up and give him back to the Lord. Listen, I prayed every day for a child. I did. And when we lost Tyler, I prayed every single day for a healthy baby. So when Taylor comes out, I bawl for one solid week. Useless as can be. I got my little girl. And she's healthy. What if I would have had to give her up for the Lord? This is a great picture to me. That Hannah looked to the child that she loved. No doubt. And incidentally, you know, when she nursed the baby, you know, it's going to come, there's, a, there's several years now going to pass. They're going back to Shiloh on this once a, year, once a year event. And when they're going to go back to Shiloh and they're going to go and, and perform the sacrifices that they've done before. Several years, I don't know how many, but this is what I do know in reading some history about the time. It was customary that a mother would nurse her child for three years and at three years old that might sound rather odd but for three years they would nurse the child and then the child would be weaned so at some point in time when they went back after this man was born after samuel was born and incidentally let's just back up so we don't get ahead of ourselves when eli is talking to hannah And Hannah is saying, I'm not the daughter of Belial. I wouldn't have any strong drink, and I wouldn't have any wine. I wouldn't do anything like that. I am praying to God. And this is what I'm praying for. I am praying that he'll grant me a child, and I'll give him back to God. And Eli says, as the high priest granting such a blessing, he says, may it be that the Lord would bless you in that way. She no longer is saddened. In fact, the Bible says that her countenance changes. Her facial features and, and, and her expressions and all of that, they change. She no longer is heavy-hearted. She no longer is saddened. She knows something good is going to happen. Bible says they go back. There's another sacrifice. They eat, and they go home. And her and her husband knew one another, and she conceived... And Samuel was born. And Samuel was the product of the prayer that she prayed. A period of time had gone by, and it was time to go to Shiloh. She says, I'm not going to go with you. And that was, incidentally, that was all right to do because, like I said, it was only the men that were required to go. So he said, uh, she says to Elkanah, her husband, she says, I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to continue to nurse him until he is weaned, and then I will bring him. And he said, okay. But there came a period of time in that, whatever I just said, three years went by, or wherever it was, when it was time. And they were going to bring the child to Eli. And she was going to fulfill what she had said, and we go to our reading that we had just a a few minutes ago, beginning in verse 21. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. And then I will bring him, and he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until you have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode, and gave her son suck until she was weaned. And then in verse 24, when she was weaned, they took him up and brought him also with three bullocks. In other words, they were not only going to bring the child to Eli to give the child Samuel over fulfilling a vow and over to the Lord to start serving the Lord all the days of his life. But they also brought things of sacrifice that they might make sacrifice in thanksgiving and praise to God also. You know, I've wondered what Eli, what he must have thought when here she comes and she says, it was me. Remember me? Remember when you thought I was drunk? You thought I was intoxicated? And I said, no, I'm not intoxicated. I'm not the daughter of Belial. I'm not all that. She says, I'm the one that was praying. I'm the one that was heartsick, and I'm the one that said that I would give my child back to the Lord if he'll but bless me with the son, and now I'm here to do it. And the Bible says from that point forward now, she left him there. You know, I don't know what that's like, but you take a child, picture a child that is yours, and you've spent, and you've bonded with the child. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a woman that gives her child up for adoption right at birth. I'm talking about you have that baby, take care of that baby, and nurse that baby for three years' time, and then all of a sudden, do like you said you were going to do, travel 18 miles, thinking the entire time what you're going to have to do and how it was going to be to separate yourself from that child, only to leave him there, because that's what you promised the Lord. You know, the Bible says that she was blessed with sons and daughters, too. But she did the right thing she chose the Lord over her child that's not easy to do but if there's a picture there it certainly is this that there is nothing in the world that is more important than serving the Lord there is no one in the world that's more important than the Lord You know, Jesus dealt with that very thing. You remember when Jesus would speak about that very thing? He would say that a man must hate his father and hate his mother and so on and so forth. But the word hate just means love less. You know what the Lord was saying? The Lord was saying, you love him like you've always loved him. You love him with all your heart. You love him in in, in a great abundance. But you love the Lord more. Because if you love anything or anyone in this life... Greater than you love me, Jesus said you're not worthy of me. What an example this woman was able to show us a long, long time ago. Well, the Bible says that she began to pray. Chapter 2, she does just that. And she prays a prayer that sounds like like a poem. It's a beautiful poem. She speaks of things that were predictions and stuff. But at first, she praises the great God of heaven. She says about the, about the Lord, his horn. That means his power. You know what he, she was saying? She was saying, it's not by my strength. It's not by his strength. It's not by man's doing. It is by God's doing and his power and his might to be able to look down upon a woman that has bowed before him. And incidentally, she was humble. You know how I know? Three times in her prayer, she calls herself thy handmaid, the Lord's handmaid, humbling herself. Who was the one that was to have power? It was the Lord, and she said it's because of his power that she had a child. Well, you know, the Bible says that Eli, or excuse me, Samuel began to continue to grow And he grew in favor in the eyes of the Lord. And he grew in favor in the eyes of men. You know, there's a contrast there because right before the statement that I just made, a verse in chapter 2, just before that, it talks about two other sons. Two other sons that were not in favor in the eyes of the Lord. And they were so wicked and so vile, they were not in favor with the people of the land either. I'm going to tell you something right now. You can leave the church. You can quit the church. You can go into a bar somewhere. You can drink an intoxicant. You can talk to people that knew you used to go to church. And you know what they'll do for the most part in the world? They'll support you in it all the way. You know why? Because it supports their decision too. Usually, when we do things that are not good in the eyes of the Lord, they are good in the eyes of man. When we go out into the world and we do things that the world says is a great idea, usually God is not pleased. Usually. More on that in just a minute. I want to share with you an example that happened just the other day. We kind of joked about it. Taylor playing in a softball league had the playoffs. We had told them that that, uh, if there's a Wednesday conflict, we would would miss the game. We've told them that from the sign-up all the way through. They knew that. In fact, Taylor missed two games in the course of the season because they were at 7.30 on Wednesday evening. We've made a commitment to worship the the great God of heaven and be with you and do so together. Interestingly, if they'd have won on Tuesday, they'd have had to play on Wednesday at 7.30. And before the Tuesday night game, I was talking to the head coach. I was the assistant. And I said, no, we're not going to be able to be there. And he said listen to me he said the Lord wants her here he said the Lord wants her here trying to recruit a good ball player the Lord wants her to play baseball Lord doesn't care about baseball Lord doesn't care about any of that the Lord cares about our service to him so usually when we do things in the eyes of the world that seem good in the eyes of the world They are not necessarily good in the eyes of God. But Samuel was a young man that was growing, and he was coming up the ranks, and he was doing things that were pleasing in the eyes of God, and he increased in favor in the eyes of man. What an example that was. But you see these two boys right here? They were so wicked, and they were so vile, And they were doing so under the idea or under the idea or guideline or the name of sacrifice and religion to God. They were so corrupt and so vile that people actually abhorred the sacrifice. Could that ever be said of a child of God? That we lived in such a way that people would look to the Lord's church with disdain because of our example. Wouldn't that be awful? You know, we're supposed to go out to the world. Daryl prayed about God giving the increase. And God certainly has done that. God's given the increase here at this place. He's given the increase all over the world. We give him the praise, the glory in the honor. We do. We give him all the praise for 566 baptisms in the Philippines at the start of the year. We give him the praise for that too. But you know... Though God gets the praise and God gets the glory, it doesn't remove our service. And one of the things that we do when we serve God, not just worship Him, one of the things that we do is we go take this gospel story, the greatest story ever told, and we take it to those that are in the world. And listen, folks, you may not know a whole lot about the Bible. You may not know a whole lot about the book. You may be a babe in Christ, but I guarantee you the greatest sermon ever preached is your life. And you can be doing good with your actions, your example, and your life. So people would look to you and see good things about the Lord's church and not bad things. But when we don't behave ourselves and we do things and act hateful and do and say things we shouldn't, Daryl talked about that this morning, about loving one another, demonstrating our faith and all of that. When we do that, people look to us in a in a negative way when we don't show that kind of proper spirit. They'll say things like, I thought you said you were a Christian. I thought you said that you were a child of God. Whole world's watching. These vile men were not only not in favor in the eyes of the Lord, but they were vile even in the sight of men. Now, Eli's going to have a conversation with both of them. And Eli sits down. And as I mentioned just a moment ago. I've tried to picture the setting. No doubt this is a man. Listen. Eli was a God-fearing man. He was a God-fearing man. Eli was a man. That was a high priest. And he was also a judge. Incidentally. You know the, the, the period of the judges. We just finished it by looking at 1 Samuel. The first chapter. We're beginning a, another book of history under the Old Testament. But prior to this, when we talk about ju- the book of Judges and we, and we find out that Samson was a man that, that judged Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines and all that. When we talk about this, we're talking about two men that were judges. There's an overlap here before we get to the first king, and that's King Saul in a few more chapters down the line. When the people wanted a king, more on that on a later date. But... Eli was not only a high priest, but he also was a judge, just like Samuel. Samuel was a judge too, and King Saul was the very first king. This was a man that was a high priest. This was a man that had to administer for the people according to the needs of the people. No doubt a good man, and a judge too. But when he sat down as boys... He said these words. First of all, it says, Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto Israel. And how they get this, how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Not only were they making the sacrifices vile, but they also had laid with the women... The Bible says, who had assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Eli says this. He says unto them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. That sounds like he's saying, I don't agree with what you're doing, doesn't it? That sounds to me like he's saying, what you're doing is absolutely wrong in the eyes of God. Is it enough? He keeps going. He says, Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. More, he goes on. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not under the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. Now Listen if I do something and have a problem and I do something with Ryan, I do something to Ryan, I sin against Ryan, there's always someone above me that I can entreat. There's always someone to ask forgiveness. There's always someone, Eli says a judge, that can stand in the way as it were and offer you mercy. He says, but when you sin against the Lord, Who are you going to entreat? Who are you going to go to? There's no greater judge than the Lord. Now these sound like heartfelt things to say to these young men. But they didn't repent. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. As we get to the third chapter, though, you remember that there was a time when Eli was getting very old. In fact, he was 98 years old. He was getting to the very end, and his eyes, the King James Version says, his eyes were dim. He was going blind. He had lost his eyesight like old people can obviously do. And one night, he and Samuel, now remember Samuel had been with Eli this whole time. Over all these years. And he was growing in favor. And growing up. And all of that growing in stature. And all of a sudden one night they go to bed. And the only thing that was the light. Was the faint distance of a light. In the holy place. And it was almost out. And it was very late. And a voice came to Samuel. And said Samuel. And Samuel arose and he comes to to Eli and he says to Eli, he says, here I am. You've called me. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And he goes back to bed the second time. And again, he hears the voice and he hears the name. He says, Samuel. And he rose up again. He comes to Eli. He doesn't sound aggravated. He just simply says, you called me. Here I am. You called me again. I'm right here. He said, No, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He goes back a third time. And he's laying there a third time. And the voice cries out again. The voice says, Samuel. He rises up and he comes to Eli. He stands before Eli. He says, Here I am again. You called me. And now Eli knew exactly what it was all about. And Eli says, It's the word of the Lord. He said, you go back, and if you hear the words again, you rise up and say, say on, Lord, for I am listening, for I am here. You know, there was going to be a vision that was given to Samuel. And it was not going to be a happy one. It was going to be a sad occasion. I want you to hear these words, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 3. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In other words, they're not, nobody's going to be able to believe what I'm going to do. He says, On. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. Look at verse 13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because, get this, his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Didn't we just read a chapter before that he told them that what they were doing was awful? Didn't he even say to them, your sin is so great that there's no one that you can even entreat? You've offended the Lord and there's nowhere to go. but it would be taken from the house of Eli. Sacrifices forever. Other things were going to happen too. Any one of, of that lineage, you know the promise given to Aaron before and continuing on in that, in that lineage? The Lord said, the angel of the Lord said before, chapter before, he said, what's going to happen is they're not even going to be able to grow to old age. They're going to die young. I'm going to wipe you out. Why? because your sons were vile and you restrained them not. Folks, if that's not a picture of the active role that we must have against wrongdoing, especially in our own house, I don't know what is. See, speaking to them was not enough. He could have taken them away from the responsibility as priests and sacrifices and all the things that they would do working as a common priest. But he didn't do it. In essence he chose them over the Lord. Somebody asked me one time well they said it rather curtly they said, what are you going to do, Frank? You got little kids. What are you going to do? Christian said this to me. What are you going to do? When one day Taylor or Tanner decide that they're no longer going to serve the Lord. If all of a sudden one day they go and say, you know what? I'm just done with it all. What are you going to do? I only have one answer. I want you to know that my answer is not any kind of arrogance whatsoever. I do think I got the greatest kids in the world, but I guarantee it, and i tell you this too, prayerfully it'll never happen, but if I lose them to the devil one day, it won't be before the fight. I do know that for a fact. I know that for a fact. But somebody says, what are you gonna do if they choose the world and quit? I answered them like this, it's the only answer I know. I hope and pray that I will love them as much as my Father loved me. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's a time when you make choices because you don't want to lose what you love. Sometimes people say, well, they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Maybe, maybe I stand before you today for that one reason. Guaranteed. See, we make the decisions for them. And if they choose another path, we long for their return. But we don't support them in sin or we give them no reason to ever come back. You know, one by one, I've had some family members that have departed. You know, they all came back. My sister came back recently. My dad never got to see it, but he'll see that one day if she's faithful to the end. If you don't stand for something, like the song says, you'll fall for anything. He could have done something about it, but he didn't. Don't ever let it be that the child of God says to their children, their loved ones, their family, hope you make the right choices, but nothing's going to change in our relationship. I'm going to love you all the way to heaven. I'm going to love you all the way back.